You're listening to Resonance 104.4 FM. This is The Bike Show. week we're taking a look at low carbon travel we're going to be talking with ed gillespie who's setting out on a round the world trip um, without using any kind of aviation to get him around the world but before that um, i was in edinburgh um, a few days ago and i decided to get there by train and put my bike on the train on the sleeper and uh, this is what happened Well, we're on the train. It's just departed from Euston Station at just before midnight. And I'm here in the uh, lounge car or bar with uh, Jane Davis, who is a Lewisham cyclist who I happen to see on the platform with a beautiful Robert spike. Looks like you're going up uh, to do some touring, Jane. Yes, that's right. And yeah, a bit of touring and a bit of walking as well. But you're a veteran of... Uh, taking the bike on the sleeper yeah. to Scotland, yeah? I've done, I've done it a lot, yeah. Um, and why is it something that you do? Um, one, because it's, from London, it's so quick. You can be, like, up in, in Scotland, you know, beautiful countryside, hardly any cars, in just overnight, and you can... So it's cheap, it saves you money, it saves you one-night um, accommodation, and you can just get off your bike and ride. I mean, now you can go to Glasgow and go straight up Loch Lomond. You can kind of get out into the mountains in couple of hours. And so where are you going on this tour this time? Well this time <clears throat> I'm actually meeting friends first and doing a bit of climbing and hill walking but then I'm just going to take the bike that'll be around the Delwynnie area um, near Ben Alder. But after that I'm going to take the bike and sort of meander up to Inverness. I'm not quite sure yet which way I'm going to take. I'm going to decide that <laughs> in a couple of days time. And how long have you got? I've got till next what, Friday the it's nine days nine days I've got. And so how is cycle touring north of the border? I've never been. Um, depends where you go I mean there's a few roads which if, can be pretty rough pretty, pretty traffic heavy and they're quite narrow even though they're A roads so it can be quite hairy but apart from that if you go to the right area like if you go up to the northwest, it's absolutely beautiful and there's hardly any traffic if you go to places like Ardnamurchan, which is right out on the west side, it's really, really quiet. You know, I've, I've spent whole mornings riding around there and hardly been passed by a car. So it depends where you go, but the northwest is probably the best, I think. And where do you stay along the way? Depends. If it's the summer, I'll take my tent, because I've got front panniers and I'll just load the whole the bike up completely and take a tent and cooking stuff. Because you can basically, up in the northwest, you can pitch a tent anywhere. You know, if, if you're sensible, you know, that you're not bothering anybody. Um, but in this time of year, 
I'll stay in hostels or bed and breakfast just see what's around when I get there. And are there other cyclists on the road that you come across? Yeah, you do. There's more and more, actually. Um, I came up for five weeks this summer and yeah, met quite a few people, quite a few, um, all different sorts. Met, I met a couple of guys who lived in Glasgow and they just rode out every weekend together on these little skinny races. And they just bombed it, bombed up the hills like mad. I think they'd done the end to end in about four days or something like that. Yikes. <laughs> so I met there's people like that, and then you meet people like typical old CTC types, you know, loaded up front and back, and you know, going along about four miles an hour, but, <laughs> but doing about eight miles a day, even so. <laughs> um, all kinds of people, yeah. I met an old guy once, and there's a up on the northwest coast there is a little peninsula around a place called Loch Inver and it's a really really hilly road it's a really tough tough road um, and it was a hot summer 2002 when they had that really hot summer I've never been in a heat wave in Scotland before but there was a heat wave and I passed this old guy I think he he looked about 70 and he was on a sort of sit up and beg and he was grinding up these roads and I kind of went past him and then I stopped about 10 miles further on have a cup of tea somewhere and I don't know how much long then I saw him he came past me still on this bike still cycling so he was a great character he was a local guy so you meet all kinds of people cycling but the, the sleeper on the bike is actually a remarkably kind of good value way of getting up there isn't it because a lot of people these days are going places uh, with all the cheap flights on Ryanair and EasyJet and, and things like that but for the kind of leisure-oriented cyclist um, who's got a bit of an environmental conscience and you know yeah. it's not actually a problem to take the sleeper it's at all. It's really simple you just bang it on doesn't cost anything and then you whip it off in the morning and you're off and it's I would never fly to Ed Edinburgh or Glasgow I don't see the point because you you know you just turn up at the station you don't have to check in you just get on the train I don't know why people fly to Edinburgh or Glasgow I really can't see the sense in it. It's quite stylish, isn't it, the sleeper? It's got a kind of a sort of frisson of a past age. It's a little bit like that. It's, I like it. I, I really love it. And it's kind of, you've got your own little sink and your own little packet of tooth, toothpaste and your little, you know, your little towel and your little, they give you a little flannel and it's, it's really nice. And you get your little breakfast in the morning, a cup of tea brought to you. So, and it can be, if, if you're canny, you can do it for as cheap as £19 each way. If you... The cheapest, you know, the cheapest berth is £19. If, so if you book far enough in advance, you, you know, it can be a really cheap way of getting up there. I don't know why people fly. And so for this trip, what are you fearing more, the rain or the midges? <laughs> I'm hoping the midges will have gone, the rain. It's going to be wet. No, not the wind, actually. The wind's the worst thing. The headwind. Yeah. Coming, wind. coming down from the Arctic. <laughs> Any wind. <laughs> now, the rain, I don't mind too much. The rain you can keep out, but the wind is a killer. Keep our fingers crossed. Well, Jane, bon route. <laughs> Have you. a good time. Take the high road. Yeah, I will be doing. Thank you. Thank you very much. This train don't carry no gamblers. This train. Crap shooters and midnight ramblers. Lord, Lord, this train. This train goes on to glory. This train. This train. This 
train goes on to glory, this train. This train goes on to glory, no one can ride it but the pure and holy. Lord, Lord, this train. Now I put my foot on the golden ship, the ship done left this show. And I'm going away to the angels, and I ain't coming back no more. This train don't pull no liars, this train. When I've returned to the uh, comfort of my cabin here and uh, investigated the hidden sink, which uh, was under a table and I had to fold up the top of the table to reveal the sink beneath, successfully brushed my teeth and I'm now lying back in bed and enjoying a kind of rocking motion of the train and the feeling of speed as England passes beneath the wheels of this train. Not a very long night's sleep ahead of me, about six hours I think. Being in a sleeping car always makes me think of that James Bond film where he has a colossal fight with Jaws, I think it is. I don't know whether it's um, Moonraker or Octopussy, but uh, definitely there was a lot of antics involving people being closed into folding beds and uh, thrown out the window or trapped in uh, cupboards. The uh, gadgetry on board these sleepers is something absolutely wonderful they're real relics of a bygone era um, although they seem still slightly futuristic even though they've always seemed futuristic and they're you know more than 20 years old now um, the various knobs and buttons for controlling the ambient temperature and the light levels and all the little hidden things and gadgets Probably the last bit of decent infrastructure on the railways in this country since they privatised them and everything went downhill and stopped being built to last. And tomorrow I have a ride around Edinburgh to look forward to. But for now, it's good night.
to hang out in the graveyard She did breast rubbing, she learned she never had to press hard When she was finished hanging out, she was all alone She decided that she better check it at home There was an awful round between her mum and dad She said she hadn't done this, she hadn't done that If she wanted to remain inside the family home She'd have to tell the line, she'd have to give it a go It didn't suit Suki, she took her things and left was a kid, she liked to hang out in the art school. She didn't enroll, but she wiped the floor with all the assholes. Well, first impressions of cycling around Edinburgh is there's a lot of hills, a certain amount of rain, and a disturbing number of cobblestone streets. Um, but um, in search of a bike shop, um, I was directed towards the bicycle works and completely got lost on the way. And then uh, flagged down a friendly looking chap on a bike who uh, not only pointed me in the direction but said, they would show me the way. So Eric, thanks very much for delivering me to the Bicycle Works. You're welcome, mate, you're welcome. And uh, how long have you been riding a bike in Edinburgh? Um, probably about two years now, maybe a year and a half to two years. I just borrowed my bike off, uh, off a mate of mine uh, who's uh, no longer in Edinburgh, so it's sort of accommodated it now, which is quite handy. And how have you found it? It makes everything a lot simpler. Um, it really does. I, I normally used to walk to work, uh, about sort of half hour walk. Now I just jump on the bike, fly down to work in about sort of five minutes, get out of bed 10 minutes before I have to work, you know, it's great. And are there a lot of other people cycling? I mean, I've seen a few, but not loads. What would you say? I mean, I guess the weather's not so good today. Yeah, today is not the best day to find cyclists around, although there will be a few. Um, the, around the meadows here where we are, is, uh, there's a fair amount of uh, sort of cycle paths and places where people can cycle. So you'll always find cyclists around uh, this part of the town. As you said, there's a lot of cobblestones around and uh, I find sometimes my bike is no suspension and what have you. So yeah, well, let's take a, let's take a closer look. You've got the, uh, the kind of classic 1980s Falcon Tour of Britain edition in a sort of mayo jaune yellow. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful colour. <laughs> They're really skinny tyres as well. Yeah, yeah, I was a bit daunted when I, first, uh, when I first tried these out, especially on the cobblestones. And I've used it during the winter as well when there's ice around and stuff. And they are slippy as anything. But they, uh, I've noticed that they are incredibly speedy as well. I get a lot of speed out of the bike, especially coming down uh, the links down there or yeah, down middle yeah, meadow walk. Yeah, you just yeah. fly, you really do. Well, it makes you well prepared if you ever want to tackle the Paris-Roubaix or one of those uh, those rides in, in Belgium that's over the cobblestones in the in the countryside yeah. down there. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be ready for that now. My arse is hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's, so what's the technique for, for surviving the cobblestones? Um, generally not sitting on the... Uh, on the on the saddle, <laughs> stand on your on your pedals, and uh, and with luck, just try and find a road that isn't cobbled, and try and yeah. find those routes. Uh, especially with this bike, it's going to shake itself to pieces at one yeah. point. Yeah, keep all the uh, all the nuts tightened up. Yeah, that's it. Well, yesterday, just yesterday, in fact, my pedal nearly came off, uh, and I was I ended up having to push it home. It wasn't far, luckily, and then I had to sort of get the old uh, repair kit out and tighten all the bolts and that sort of thing. If the powers that be here wanted to do something to make your life easier as an Edinburgh cyclist, what do you think they could do? Apart from iron out the cobblestones <laughs> and level the hills. Yeah, that was, I don't mind the hills so much. The hills are nice. Um, there is a lot of uh, cyclists around. I guess uh, just a bit more cyclist awareness, really. You often find yourself a bit 
worried about cars and stuff coming so close to you and that sort of thing. There isn't really a lot of a few of the roads have uh, sort of um, lines along the edges where you can where cyclists are, are, are meant to go, and, and that's that's quite nice because then the cars obviously don't come so close to you. Um, but I think uh, more more of those would be definitely very helpful because uh, uh, it just makes it you got an extra an extra space between yourself and the cars then you know cars aren't coming whipping by really yeah, sort of yeah. right next to you so that's that would be the main thing I think uh, if anything was to, was to be done and do you get out on the bike um, out into the countryside at all um, I'd like to and I keep on telling myself that I should and I, I get a little bit of time off here and there and I always say oh go and do that and then I look at the weather and <laughs> I think well maybe not because it's a big mountain biking scene isn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of people. Uh, I had a mate actually, who'd, uh, an ex-flatmate who just used to spend huge amounts of money on his bike, um, sort of two and a half grand, that kind of thing. Eventually got nicked, which is one of those things. And he hadn't got it insured, so it was a bit of a disaster, really. But he used to used to yeah, he had loads of mates and stuff, and they'd all head off. Uh, I can't remember the name of the place they would go, but uh, yeah, a lot of downhill biking and that sort of thing. So yeah, there's a lot of that around. And if you head into the into the centre, they're close to the university buildings. You get a lot of folk, uh, or at least during the summertime or when there's nice weather anyway, you get a lot of folk doing sort of uh, street riding and that sort of thing. And there's a square there where lots, lots of people do jumps off the steps and that sort of thing as well. Well, thanks for showing me the way and thanks for stopping to chat. You're welcome. Cheers, enjoy your uh, ride. Are you heading home? I'm heading home just now, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, thanks. All right, bon route. <laughs> So I've come down here to Bicycle Works, which looks to me like the kind of bicycle shop that the bike show likes. It's a whole lot less corporate than uh, Edinburgh Bicycle Cooperative that I stopped into on the way, who said they wouldn't even speak to me unless I was in touch with their promotions people. Um, so <laughs> I'm here now with, uh, with Kevin in, uh, in Bicycle Works, and tell us a bit about the shop you've got here. Um, well, this shop's basically, as far as I'm concerned, the hub of everybody getting their bikes back on the road and repairs and things like that. You know, we're quite busy with repairs all year round. It never stops. So the sort of commuter cyclist of Edinburgh comes here to get his bike sorted, maintained, repaired, serviced, whatever he needs, basically. And I was just chatting um, outside with a, a Edinburgh cyclist who said that the cobblestones take their toll on the, on his bicycle. I mean... It, are cobble-inflicted uh, mechanicals a big problem here? Um, they can be. It's kind of, how can I put it, it just afflicts both bikes and people, I think, does the cobbles in Edinburgh. But uh, it's one of the necessary evils to get from certain places. But it's not too bad. It just depends on on whether you want to take a route round them or whether you just want to, you know, have a bit bump and a yeah, bit grind. need to get that phone. Yep, that will have to be me. So what kind of people come in your shop? How, what is the Edinburgh cyclist like? Uh, he's nondescript, he's everybody. It can be any, any walk of life, people come in here. Doctors, nurses, lawyers, or car mechanics, anything. It just, there's no, there's no set pattern to it. it and what, what kind of bikes do they ride? You had a yeah. woman just here with a mountain bike putting on the back of her car there. Then it looks like from the repairs you've got in, it's sort of mostly mountain bikes, few... Kind of yeah, tourers. It can be anything from standard mountain bike, tourers, racing bikes, time trial bikes, everything and anything. Bikes look like they've just been pulled out the canal to get serviced and five grand bikes. It just can be anything. And do you, do you get out riding um, outside the city? Are you a mountain biker? Uh, I'm a bit of everything. I kind of touch all sort of aspects of cycling. I mean, the roads around here are great for road riding. You've got hills right on your doorstep, proper moorland mountain bike tracks. You can go down to Glen Tress, which is only sort of half an hour in the car. It's uh, it's a mecca for cycling, this place. And how about the uh, 
attitude of the local authorities to cyclists? Um, they provide us with cycling paths, but it's the same as everywhere else. They don't want to upgrade them, they don't want to sort of pay up with the general upkeep with them, so it's kind of much pretty... It, it It's there, but it could be better. And is there much of a kind of urban bike scene with, um, you know, bike messengers, people riding fixed wheel bikes and that kind of thing? Yeah, there's stacks of them, stacks of couriers on the fixed wheel bikes, they're all over the place. I mean, but That must be tough with the hills and the cobbles and the rain. Yeah, I can imagine some of them are off walking sometimes with the, the, the gear and that they've got, but in the main, the town centre's not too bad for them, but if they, if they get out the way up over at sort of Gilmiston and that way, it's going to be hard work for them, definitely. And so if you were to recommend someone who's coming for a, you know, a few days in Edinburgh, what sort of ride would you recommend them to do? Depends on their level, really, but if they're just sort of tourists, then things like the Water Leith is very good, and if they can get around the Pentland Hills on some of the lower tracks, that's fabulous. It's just like being in the middle of the Highlands up there. Um, so th there's plenty to do. Well, I'll let you get back to your repairs. What have you got on today on the uh, in the workbook? Uh, two wheel builds to do, a pair of forks to go in there, some mud guards to do, and just the general everyday bits and bobs and serving customers and, and all the rest of it. Right, cheers. Thanks for your time. Never boring, never stops. <laughs> well, that was my journey by train up to Edinburgh, train and bicycle, low carbon um, traveling in the United Kingdom. And I'm here with a man who's going to be doing a much longer slow travel, low carbon journey. I'm here with Ed Gillespie. Um, Ed, what's your um, journey you're going to be taking on in the next year? Uh, well, in around March of uh, 2007, I'm going to be going all the way around the world without flying. It's sort of uh, around the world in 80 ways. So, yeah, I'm sort of embarking around the beginning of March, heading heading east uh, across through Europe, then through China, down through Malaysia, um, using container ships, trains, boats, but everything except the plane. And so is it mostly trains? Um, I should imagine so. I mean, trains obviously great for the for the long distance stuff, but part of the challenge is to try and employ as many different modes of transport as possible along the way. So and, and not to fly. Why is the reason not to fly? It's kind of it's kind of twofold. I mean, the first one is um, because of the carbon emissions. You know, it's the kind of the climate change context in which we're all living these days uh, makes the kind of the carbon emissions that result from flying um, unacceptable for me personally as as, as a choice. Um, and also I've flown quite a lot in the past so I feel I've got a bit of carbon guilt I think gnawing away at me um, but it's also about sort of rediscovering the, the joy of slow travel you know kind of the transition of landscape and people and culture and language and you know if you, if you walk you see everything if you go by car you see something if you go by plane you see nothing and what about if you go by bicycle? You're going to be able to pack a little folding Brompton <laughs> on your container ship. I was going to cycle around and around the deck, probably. Um, I'm not won't be taking a folding bike, but yeah, I, mean, I, should, I should guarantee we'll be doing some cycling at, at some point along the routes. You know, I mean, probably in China. I mean, there's only one way to see Chinese cities if you can continue to breathe. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's right. So, who are your kind of inspirations for making this journey? If you, I mean, there are other people who've done great overland journeys that that you've uh, found to be something that's motivated you? Well, it's Odysseus, isn't there? It took about 15 years to get home. Um, but he, he certainly didn't fly. Um, and I'm, I'm quite inspired by people like Paul Theroux and the stuff that he did. And obviously he wasn't doing it out of a kind of uh, motivation for, from the carbon side of things. But I think it's the, it's the fascination of, of long rail journeys that I've, I've got from, from his kind of, kind of travelling. Um, and I don't know, I think it, people, have to, people have to ask themselves a question about why we travel. I think that's the kind of the, the, the some of the fundamentals here because you know it used to used to be a lot more about you know trade or 
getting out of your own village and trying to find a, a spouse from a different gene pool. I mean, now, these days, principally, it's about, you know, leisure and visiting friends and family and, and for holiday purposes. And I just... I'd like to, I'd like to rediscover or people to kind of re-engage with the fact that the journey is part of the reward. You know, it's not just a kind of mechanistic means to an end to get you to your destination, but it should actually be part and parcel of the whole experience. And so how have you gone about finding out the routes that you can take? I mean, starting off in in London, because that's where you're setting out from. Yeah. Um, well, the, the other guy who's really inspiring, I think, is the, the chap behind seat61.com. Um, and, you know, he's obviously a railway enthusiast. And just looking at his website and and kind of the top tips about you know how you can find different routes to get to get across Europe. I mean, Seat Sixty One is a a non commercial website that gives advice about basically how to get anywhere in Europe by train. Yeah, exactly. And the other stuff. I mean, a lot of this stuff is is done by enthusiasts. I think that's the thing because it's not formal. If you phoned up a travel company and said you know, I'd like to travel slowly without flying. They kind of, I think the response you'd get would be a little bit confused and they'd think, well, what the hell is this guy playing at? You know, why would anyone want to do that? Um, but what you find is that with the container ship cruises as well, where you can, you know, get a berth or a cabin on a big um, mercantile vessel, um, there's actually a few websites and agents. I think there's, there's one in London. I found another one in New Zealand as well, who are really specialist, but they help you find the passages and, and the routes which will help fit with your own itinerary. And so, you, I mean, you work in the field of climate change um, and uh, I mean how do the different methods compare in terms of cost and carbon emissions I mean have you done a sort of scientific analysis of uh, what you know what it costs to get you to Argentina on a container ship versus a flight mm, well no I mean there, there is a, there's certainly not a scientific analysis um it, it isn't it isn't cheaper I mean you have to accept that but then you're also getting a lot more out of the experience, you know, I and mean, it will cost you, you know, somewhere around $60 a day on a container ship, for example, and the particular journey I'll be doing is from Buenos Aires back to Tilbury via um, Brazil and West Africa. And that's 35 days at sea. So if you imagine $60 a day, 35 days at sea, it's best part of $2,000. So it is expensive, whereas you can probably pick up a flight to Argentina for, you know, maybe three or 400 quid if you, if you get a kind of a discounted one. So it doesn't stack up on, uh, on cost alone. But you just have to look at it in a different way. And there's other benefits in the quality of the experience rather than being kind of shuffled onto a cattle truck plane and, and twanged across the atmosphere. Um, hopefully be a bit more of an adventure. I mean, could you envisage in the future some time where uh, we fly less, but maybe we take these modes of transport more? Is there more capacity in the system to travel slowly, do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, that's another big question. I mean, whether I mean, I don't think there is that much capacity. That's probably part of the problem. Um, and we have to ask ourselves, you know, fundamental questions about how much we can actually travel in a, in a more carbon constrained world. And that's a really difficult debate to have with people. And maybe it's about making other sacrifices in other areas of your life to kind of rebalance your own carbon. You know, so doing the energy efficiency and carbon saving at home, you know, driving less, reducing your food miles, buying more local food, all of which, you know, where our carbon emissions come from at the moment. And maybe we're kind of caught in a dilemma where we say, you know, do you want to travel or do you want your food to travel? You know, do you buy your air freighted green beans from uh, Kenya or Namibia, you know, or, or do you get to do your one flight every other year or something? It does seem a bit odd that flying is seen as the greatest sin where you just mentioned a whole lot of other things which are part of the way we live our lives, but a little bit less visible, I suppose, than than passenger flights. Mm. Oh, no, it's, it's true. And I think the concern is, is we know what the solutions are. 
And you know, there are lots of opportunities for reducing carbon in other areas, whereas all the trends on aviation are going exactly the opposite way. You know, and we're increasingly doing more and more short-haul flights. And that's the problem, is it's a massively expanding kind of contribution to overall carbon. And if it carries on with the current trends, it will actually cancel out the benefits and savings we make in other areas. Well, thanks for talking about your trip and enjoy it and let us know how it gets on when you get back and do try to get on a bike at some point. <laughs> I certainly will. I'll be back on my bike on Thursday. So, cheers. Cheers.